0: Uh, we're gonna go look at the inside look of the inner life. And you say, what is that? The inner life for, for you and me is that is is our life that relates to devotion to God. It also relates to the to our life of our mind. It relates to the life of our emotions to our will, and our choices, and how we make our choices, and it is the inner, and also it involves the inner dialogue that goes on in your mind. So when you think of the inner life, I think of the in-workings of all of those aspects of who you are, that is going on on the inside of you, that really shape. And shapes what is happening on the outside of how you approach life. It it is it is that part that is the mechanism by which you view life and how you approach it and how you live it. That's the part of the inner life. It's it's been really neat to to uh, be around a three year old. Yeah, you think it. And I'm thinking, you know what his imagination is? You know what the imagination of a three-year-old is? It is so cool. And when I'm around him, I get to be Batman at times. And Robin and Spider-Man. And I mean, I I get to be that. And I get into his world. And it's a real cool world. It's a real freeing world. And, And I'm thinking... What an imagination at three. And he recognizes that it's a pretend world. You know, not the re- this one, but the you know, the Spider Man. And you know, we were we were doing the Spider Man deal here the other day. Can I share with you just a little bit? Is it okay? Now I, listen, I'm I'm one of these gra- I'm not one of these grand, proud grandfathers and I'll be pulling out the pictures and and that's the whole that'll be the whole service, you know, but so but we were playing we were playing the Spider Man. I said, "You know, you don't have to put the Spider Man suit on to be Spider Man." He's kind of looked at me. He says, "It's in your imagination. You can pretend like you're Spider Man. You're Spider Man." Yeah. And and we go around and we, you know, when I'm playing with him, it's it's just fun. It's just fun. It's just fun. And I I was thinking here the other day. I mean, what happens? You know, I still have an imagination. How about you? Let me ask you a question. How sanctified is your imagination? Hmm? You know, at three, it's, it's pretty fun. I mean, it's a make-believe world. But you know what? You've lived long enough as well as I lived long enough that my imagination is not too sanctified anymore. How about yours? So, I give my imagination to worry. How about you? I give my imagination over to fear. Because we are reminded that we are not children and we don't have that luxury to be children. So we give our imagination over to uh, uh, some harsher realities of life. Because we've lived long enough to know that life can be hard and there's a lot of battles to fight. Right? Anybody with me? Yeah. I want to I want to say a little word to our creative folks in our congregation. We've got several creative folks who are in creative arts and and so forth. C.S. Lewis is a writer who who wrote a lot about his philosophy, but primarily wrote ruts about the the imagination, and he gives us some of the you know wonderful works of 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 the world of imagination because he had a sanctified imagination. But what if, and I, I begin to think, what if we begin to take our thinking about how we look at life and how we view ourselves and how we look. And we begin to, to say, okay, I want a sanctified imagination to think, to think from God's standpoint of what, what God not only sees about me to be true, but, but the reality of what our lives would be if we're wholeheartedly, solely given to Christ and pursued Him with all of our heart i just think if i was a creative person that i would be that i'm more creative i'll just tell you this i'm way more creative when i'm connected to the lord in prayer and in fellowship and 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 i'm i'm less connected it's, it's when i get connected with the realities of oftentimes of this world and the struggles and the pains and the heartaches and the fears and the tears that they just kind of rob the great joy of being creative anybody here And and so, I'm I'm just thinking, you know, Jesus, you know, the scripture says that we should love the Lord our God with all our heart, our soul, and our, was not your imagination a part of your mind? Is it? Sure is. And all your strength... So if I'm on a if I'm on a basketball court, or, which I'm not, <laughs> thank God, uh, right? Uh, um, but if I were on a basketball court, and uh, you know, I would want to play with all my heart. You know, when a guy or a, g- a girl's playing with all their heart, don't you? You can say, man, they pull out, they pour all their heart into it, right? Right? Y'all, y'all have to, y'all have to help me because I'm needing help. <laughs> You know it. There's, there, is, there is the reality of a passion that, that is, they're drawing from something deeper than the mechanics of what they know how to do. They're drawing from a deeper set of strengths and passions that is spiritual. Right? It's just deeper. And so I'm just asking you, what could happen in our lives if we begin to pursue God in our spiritual life with a passion? Because let me, let me kind of warn you here, is that he is already pursuing you. He's already been settled in history. It's been settled in time that he came on an all-out search and rescue mission and pursuit of, so that you could have fellowship with him, so that you could know him personally, though, so that you could have forgiveness of sin, so that you could have someone who fought your battles for you. He's already on an all-out pursuit of you. Now you're you may be oblivious to it or you may it may be enlightening to you or whatever, but he is already at the door and he's knocking. He's already at the door and he's knocking. And he's saying, "I want to come into your house and I want to have time with you. I want to have fellowship with you. I want to do life with you. I want I want all the reality of who I am to become, to become and influence every part of you because that's how I created you to function at your best as you function for God's glory. So, Jeremiah said it this way. Jeremiah said it this way. He says, I know the thoughts that I think toward you. Now, I like this verse. says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil. In other words, God God has a a plan that is real for your life. Right? I think if God has a plan that's real for my life, I think I'd want to get in on it. How about you? And notice here, it's not in all the things that you imagine that that worry your mind. It's not that. He gives you a, say this with me, a future and a hope. He gives you something to look forward to and a firm, confident, this is what hope is biblically, it's a firm, confident expectation that he will fulfill all of his promises because his promises are based upon his very character. It's a powerful truth. So God says this at the gate. He said this for his children. He says it for you and for me. That he knows and these thoughts that he has for us. And it's not of the things that we imagine. Because oftentimes we can imagine the worst. Or is that just me? Probably not. And notice what he goes on to say. He says, then you will call upon me and go and pray to me. So you go to pray to him and I will listen to you and you will seek me and you will find me. Not that he's been lost. But you will find the reality of who he is when you search for for me with all your heart. That is a promise. Jesus said, we have not because we do not what? ask now I want you to if we could kind of go back one of the one of the biblical principles one of the principles of interpreting the Bible is this is to understand the Bible you have to you have to kind of have in your mind that it was not written directly to you but it actually came in the context of time to a group of people so we get to Matthew chapter 6 and we get through all the Gospels particularly, we realize that that the Gospel writer Matthew, who who, um, who, who was a follower of Christ and a tax collector who came to Christ, writes a Gospel, and it's a part of the four Gospels, but there's one Gospel, and there's four different accounts of it, but he writes a Gospel... That, that gives us the reality of who Jesus is. And what we see in Matthew's gospel is that he presents Jesus as the king. Matter of fact, Matthew writes more about Jesus' kingly lineage. He does it through the genealogies. And then he goes through and brings in the Old Testament law and prophets. That relate to Jesus. So what, what Matthew is wanting you to understand. is What Matthew is wanting his readers to understand. Is that Jesus just comes down. As a, in, as a, in a process of how God has revealed himself in time. And the living word comes to live among men. As king. So we have the Lord's prayer. Our father which art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. All this kingdom talk, we find that Matthew kind of gives us insight into that, into the life of Jesus. So if we were living in the first century world, Jesus comes down during a time that there was there was a multiplicity of worldviews as it related to Jesus. Particularly Judaism, and then you had the Greek and Roman world, which which people lived in at that moment in time, and people had different thoughts even in that time in a diversity of, in the diversity of this religious world, con- ideas about what religion ought to be. The religious world of Jesus was was uh, was multifaceted in 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 a lot of ways, a lot like our day and time. So there were there were people that that had influences of Greek culture around them. They had all kinds of influences of the world and worldviews around them, ways of looking at life and being religious. You had some people that had many gods and they served many gods, and you had some who served only one one God, and that was the that was the very that was the very reality of, of Judaism, was that there was one God, which made them distinct. Made the reality of that distinct. But there was different ideas how you approach this God. So, in, in the religious world of Jesus, there were different groups of people. There were the Sadducees. And the Sadducees were kind of like this aristocratic group of, of, of religious leaders. And many of them were priests. And, um, and, and there, was this, there was division in, 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 the, in the religious world. Uh, and there were dif- different thoughts. The Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection, in the literal bodily resurrection. They, they just didn't think it was. They were an aristocratic kind of religious. It was a religious aristocracy in their mind and their thinking. That's, the, that's their approach. And then you had some of the more common, uh, the Pharisees who were teachers of the law. And these, these people were, uh, these guys were really, um, they did believe in the resurrection. So there's always this contention going on with the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And we all know, this is an old joke. That, but we all know why the Sadducees were sad, because they did not believe in the resurrection. They were sad, you see. Okay? Yeah, that's corny, I know. But, but it worked for a little laugh. But the Pharisees and Sadducees, and what the Pharisees did, they not only took the, the Ten Commandments, but then they began to take all the Levitical laws. Have you ever read the, through the book of Leviticus. And you read read that sometimes for your devotions. And you go through all of these ceremonies and the holiness code and these dietary laws and these dietary restrictions and all of this. So religion for the Pharisees meant that you would fast two days a week. And let me tell you, when you fasted two days a week, you let everybody know it. Because it's the religious thing to do. And you want the world to see that, hey, I am religious. I am good at this. And so what did they do? They would put on sackcloth and they would cover their face with ashes and they would look miserable two days of the week. And and that was being holy. That was being religious. That was being pleasing to God in their mind. Okay? So... They, they put this great emphasis on these external activities of, 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 of the religious life. And you say, well, boy, I, I'm glad we're so more enlightened now. We are, but we, our heart has the same tendencies. I, I would like to tell you that our hearts, you know, that our hearts don't have these same tendencies, but they do. And then you had the Essenes. The Essenes were the, you know, they looked, and they looked at, at the corruption in the temple. They looked at the corruption among religious leaders. And they looked at corruption among the Pharisees who lived, who, who they saw the hypocrisy for many of them. And they said, you know what, we're, I'm get, we're getting away from all of it. And we're going to go and we're going to go in our own little commune. And so they went into the hill country. And these were the purest. These were, the, these were the ones that just separated completely from, from everything and everybody and they kind of went into this monastic life and, and uh, they, um, they would actually copy the scriptures. And one of the things that, that shepherds found in 1947 in the Quamram caves was that they, some, some little shepherd boys were out throwing, throwing rocks into this cave and they heard something crack. And they went in there and, and eventually they found that there was these clay pots in there and then these clay pots were these scrolls and it was a copy of, uh, one of the oldest copies of the Old Testament and uh, they they found those and it, of course they found the really the reliability of the whole of the, of, of the Bible that we have in in those ancient ancient documents but they were Preserved by these, this, these communities, quamrom, community. They, these were the Purists, And then there were the zilliots who kind of linked politics and religion and all of it. And they were zilliots. And, and man, they, were, they, were, they had a whole different angle at it. And their, Rome really had their eye on these folks. And then there was just the common people. They didn't feel like that they felt that they would fit in with the Sadducees and then the, the Pharisees or the Essenes or the zilliots. They were just kind of there. And they had been influenced from the world around them. If you want to be really into the, your religion, you would, you would live close to Jerusalem. But if you were on the outskirts of Jerusalem, like in Nazareth or some other place, then, you know, you were probably not that inclined to be religious. Yes, you just kind of maybe thought of God. And then somebody comes along that, that wrecks your whole religious world. And it was Jesus. He, he, he messes up the way they thought about it i mean there was there were structures that were in place and and they had all these external rules and 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 it was working pretty well for most of the people and then jesus comes along and he he talks about the the blind to seeing the deaf hearing and the poor having the gospel preached to them and common people who felt like that they were on the outs all of a sudden felt like that they were accessible and that God knew them. Ah, That may be a real test about whether you have more than just religion or if you have a real relationship with God. What do people get from you? is it they just look at you and you say well you're a religious person or you're very devoted or or that or do you are you really connected and that's what Jesus comes to challenge so Jesus comes and he he deals with this and so I want to give you I want to give you kind of three things as we ca- take an inside look at the heart now I've said all this to give you three points and these points should go pretty quick let's pray right these points should go pretty quick. But Jesus, Jesus warns us, really, I mean, these are kind of warnings. He he gives us this, this kind of this warning. He says, take heed because you want the your internal life and your external life to be in congruence. And when there is when the, the internal part of the reality of your heart is not right. Then in essence. All the external religious stuff you do. May be just a show. And let's face it. It's easy to. F- live in a pretend world. Is it not? Come on. Sure it is. It's. it's Listen. It's, it's real easy for us to go on a spiritual autopilot in our heart. Yeah, I'll just, yeah. And just kind of half-heartedly go through the motions of the Christian life. And we can do all the external things. People pat us on the back. You're doing all the good things. You're Look how good you are. Look how great you're doing. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. And it's so good. But the danger is this. The danger is your heart can be far from God. And you say, how can that be? How can it be that you're doing all this stuff and... You're doing all this, it all deals with our motive, and it all deals with how we view this thing called relationship with God. So, what God is after in our lives is He is after the whole you, the whole heart. It's the whole heart. He, he's not just, He's not after religious activity. That's just, that should be just an overflow of the internal drive and the internal workings and operation of the spiritual life. And so Jesus talks about this. I want you to look at this. And here's the first point, and I want to give you the point, and then I'm going to go back, go to the Scripture, uh, and then go back to the first point, okay? So here's the first point that, Jesus, that that Jesus deals with, and this is the one. So Jesus warns of the danger of self-righteousness. And self-righteousness looks like this. It defines spirituality on outward appearances rather than the secret place of prayer. Could it be, now let me just ask you, could it be that the real test of your own spiritual life is not your public and not the activity that everybody sees, but it's in the secret place of your prayer closet? Now that's how Jesus kind of approaches. Now go to the scripture here and let's look at this. Jesus, Jesus says this and he says, he says this to people who were the Pharisees and says When you fast, do not look like the hippo. don't Don't be play acting. He says with a sad countenance. Oh, how sad I am because I'm fasting for Jesus. You know, I'm fasting for God. He says, don't do that. For these men, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear to be men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. And their reward is the external praise that they get from men. Oh, look how religious they are. He says, assuredly, I say to you, he says, they have their reward, but when when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. In other words, he says, take a bath and go to church. Right That's what we'd say. So that when you appear, you do not appear to be men to be fasting. But your Father who is in the secret place, do you see it there? Your Father who's in the secret place, he sees the secret. He sees what is happening in the depths of the closet where no man can go but only your heart. And he rewards you openly. Now Jesus flipped this thing upside down. You see it? He flipped this whole thing upside down. He says, here's what God is after. God is after the real, the real depth of spirituality in your life is the reality of what is happening in your prayer closet. It's not all the external things that we deem religious and even necessary and even good. It is the reality of what is happening on the inside of you and in the depths of your heart. And in the secret place. Now this this idea of of self-righteousness is. It's easy for us to become frankly self-righteous. Is it not? And I'm not saying you are. You are not. I I don't think of anybody. I don't think of you all when I think of this. Okay. But it's easy. And and there's been times in my own life. That I've had my own self-righteous thoughts. How do you know that Greg? Because there's been times in my life. That I have been the greatest judge of people how about you huh now here's the re- here's why i'm not a good judge i'm not a good judge because i have my own standards of what i think's right right and you may look at something on the outside and you say it's this way but you don't know the depths of what's going on in somebody's heart true now, let me just say this. There are rights and wrongs in life, and the Scripture's already made judgment on those. And those things are pretty clear. I'm not talking about those things. I'm just talking about, I'm just talking about when it comes to looking at your religious neighbor. Okay? I know. It's, it, it really hurts, doesn't it? I mean, this is, how, this is where Jesus goes with this stuff. Okay? So I have to remind myself, okay, I'm not God and my righteousness is really not within me because my righteousness is not really that good. But Christ is righteous and my righteousness is in Him. So there's a real danger that we can become externally focused in all of our religious activity and forget the deception of the heart. The proneness of our heart to be deceived. So, he deals with this. So the Pharisees were going around. They said, why don't you do this? Why don't, and he was going around. They were like, for instance, they would follow Jesus on the Sabbath. And, and Jesus was going to, into this field and he would glean corn from a cornfield. And that was part of their proper etiquette. But they, if they did it on Sunday, they were breaking a law. A religious law. And, and the Pharisees would say, Well, why are Jesus' disciples not fasting two days a week like like we are? They must not be right with God. So it's just real easy. And we, we, can, we have our own different versions of it. It may not be that, but it's a different version. And sometimes it's our own version. And Jesus just simply warns us, Get back to the very reality of it. And that is... Live your heart, open your heart to God, and live, live it on that basis. And yes, it will affect how you live. It will affect how you treat your neighbor. It will affect how you live life. And you will live very authentically when you do. You'll live confessing your sin, the reality of, of and thankful for forgiveness, and thankful for grace, and thankful for all those things that make you right with, that, that, that God has done in our behalf to make us right with Him. Jesus just wants a heart. That's it. He just wants the heart. So here's number two now. Aren't you glad that we're getting through this? Here, the, the first you think the first one was bad. Let's look at the second one. Jesus warns of the the danger of self satisfaction when the, when things that are temporary becomes the heart's desire more than the eternal riches of Christ. Now this is this is where okay, this is kind of the climate that we live in today, right? Let's look at the verses now and, and look at the, what it says here. Um, Don't store up treasures here on earth where moth eats them and rust corrupts them and where the thieves break and steal. He says, store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy Thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He says, "There is where your is what you value the most is." And Jesus is simply reminding us that we are more than just material beings, as we looked at last week. He, he said, "Don't." He says, "This is this is basically how men live." He says, "Men live for what they see." And don't you know that um, you ever tried to store clothes? You know, I, I, this style thing is really, it, it's cumbersome sometimes. Did anybody just me find it? In other words, I have a hard time throwing away old clothes that are still good. Anybody here like that? I, I just have the hard, okay, good. I'm so thankful that... that. Um, and I, I, you know, in, in the process of moving a time or two, you know, you, you store things. And you know what I've inevitably noticed? That some of the clothes that I've liked the most that are out of style and Trace said, you ain't going to wear that, are you? Inevitably, I'll hang them back. And I'll say, well, at some point in time, it will, it will be 20 years from now when I'm 90, you know, it'll be back in style, you know. And uh But I have noticed that over the years that left unattended, you know what happens? It gets a little mold on them, and they get a little mildew, and they get a little moth. And I put on a suit one day, and I'm thinking, oh, this is great. I just hate to get rid of this suit. And I looked all down the arms, and there was little pinholes And I said, well, I don't smoke. What's that? Moth Thus corrupt. You know? It would have been better off if somebody had, have, you know, broken in and stolen my suit. At least they would have got to wear it, you know? Um but and you, you know that's life isn't it you know it just eats it's eats, eats away at stuff and you know you look at your car and you know you buy it off the lot and then you know t- 3 weeks later about a month later you look and you say i think i need a new car why because it's all dirty and you know, you've got road grime on it and grit, and you got uh, tar on it, and, and then all of a sudden you went through the drive-through a few times, and there's the old French fries that are somewhere in the behind the seat, and you know you smell the you smell the the baby's three-week-old you know bottle that is that was lost in there, and you're thinking what happened, you know Russ, and then eventually Russ takes over. And, and uh, it's a real encouraging part of life, isn't it? The, and then he says, and then there's those who just come and take what you have. Uh, thieves, that you, you know, things that you put value around. So we lock things up and, and, and we, we do all that. And, and, and yet this is the world that we live in. Jesus is reminding us, don't, 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 don't bank too highly on these things. Why is he talking about this? Because Jesus knows the natural tendency of the heart is to find security in stuff down here. It just is. And it's that way for me, and it's that way for you, and it's that way for your neighbor. And it's just that way. Our heart is drawn to this stuff. Why? Because our heart is drawn oftentimes to things that really Cannot eternally satisfy. So Jesus is simply saying. Don't become self satisfied with stuff down here. And just say okay I've got the big stuff taken care in the end. He says no pursue the big stuff now. Pursue God now. Is that's what if you're trying to figure out wonder. That's where it's at. It's what you you treasure the most. I want to give you a a little uh, C.S. Lewis quote. I think it's here in this place. If not, get it, get it there if you can. Uh, C.S. Lewis, let's go to the next slide. Go to the next one. He says, Christ says, give me all. And he does. Now, C.S. Lewis wrote, he says, I don't want so much of your time, so much of your money or much of your work. He said, I want you. He says, hand over the whole natural self, all the desires which you think that are in- innocent as well as the ones that you think are wicked, the whole outfit. He, he wants to come just take it all over. And he says, I will give you a new self instead. In fact, I will give you myself. My own will shall become yours. Now, that's good. So you thinking, listen, as, as, as well as you could imagine your life, God, God has a bigger imagination than you. Doesn't he? He does. Then so what is he saying? He's saying, as you give your, if you give your life to Christ, as you give your heart to Christ, as you give yourself to God, as you pursue Him in prayer, and you pursue spiritual life, and you you pursue an inner life that is connected with God, you pursue the prayer, you pursue the things of godliness, you pursue the things of allowing God to work in the realm of your character. You see, if listen, you work in the, you allow God to do that work in your character. He takes care of the reputation stuff. He takes care of that. He takes care of what people think. You begin to to allow God to do that inner work in in your life. In other words, don't push Him aside. Instead, lean into it, and not only lean into it, pursue it. It's a powerful truth of reality. So there's a danger on, on one hand, but yet there's the reality of the power of Christ to live within us. Now here's the last one. Are you with me so far? Just say amen or something. Okay, I think this side said something. Uh, (laughs) Right? Amen. Thank you. Um, Jesus warns us of the danger of self-deception. Now this is a real tricky one. This is a real tricky one. It is confusing the darkness as the light. This is a real tricky one, because if you would have went to any person who was religious in Jesus' day and they were good at it. Matter of fact, this was the this was Saul of Tarsus's problem. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. This guy was good at religion. He got he got religion, man. He got the he had the pedigree. He was good at it, and he thought. That he was doing God a favor by persecuting Christians. In other words, to Saul of Tarsus, that's what it meant to follow God. That's what it meant to follow God. And you begin to look at the realities of this. This is the danger. This danger is self-deception. You say, is that possible? Well, let me ask you, was it possible for Adam and Eve in the garden in a perfect environment? The enemy comes along and he says, Oh, you, could, you know, God said that you couldn't eat of anything in this tree? Anything in this garden? No, well, not exactly like that. Well, he's, God's holding that on you. He knows you're going to be like him when you do. You're going to be God. And they were deceived. Deceived. This is, a, this, is a, this is a difficult one. So Jesus warns. Here's the scripture. There's the, here's the scripture that Jesus warns us with. And he gives us this. He says, your eye is like a lamp that provides light okay, to your body. Okay? When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. In other words, you see correctly, you see clearly, you see reality. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light that you think that you have is actually darkness, how deep is that darkness? Jesus is saying, you need to take an inside look of the inside deal of the heart. And don't think that I'm the first one that's come along to talk about this because there were prophets in the Old Testament that said the same thing. That, that, that God was way more interested in our very heart and, and plowing up some fallow ground and repenting of our sin and turning to, to God. Than he was all these sacrifices. And all this religious activity that we do. To feel good about ourselves. So there's a real danger. There's a real danger. That's why listen. That's why it is so important. That we have the truth of this word. To shine into our hearts. And our hearts are receptive to the truth. Because it is that. That. That shines a light into the depth of our heart. That allows us to enjoy fellowship with God. And listen to see reality of life as it really is. Otherwise, we live in a world of self-deception without truth. This is a little caveat. There's not a whole lot of emphasis in our world today upon objective, moral truth. We say it's self-defined. We, we, I create my own truth for myself And we're seeing where it's leading us as a culture. The problem is really a truth problem, and the problem is, you see, there's a lot of times that this word, I stand convinced, by it in the depths of my heart do you I mean sometimes this word cuts to the depth of who I am and I am learning to say Lord that really hurts but thank you for it why because it is an act of God's love when the Holy Spirit pierces our heart with truth, and then he just tears away, and then God comes along with this healing bomb. So the truth that sets you free is the truth that heals your heart, right? Thank God for His Word. Thank God for the truth of His Word. We're begotten by it spiritually. We're begotten by it in. In, in our lives it, it is it is the part that makes us alive. It is the living word of God right here found in his word that brings light and life. It brings light to our steps and it brings us the fullness of life in the person of Christ. So I want to ask you, what if, what if, here's, here's the last thing, what if our hearts were not divided? Not divided by what we think or what we think others might think or what if our hearts were not divided by what we pursue and the things of life and the busyness of life, what would if our hearts were not divided but totally devoted to Christ? What would that look like? What would that look like in your life? And I'm not saying it's not. It, it may very well be. But, but, but what does it look like? He says this. He says, no man can serve two masters. Right? Now Jesus is telling this to folks who were religious. So, I mean, it would have been a part of the crowd. He says, no one can serve two masters. So there is, oftentimes, our heart is often drawn away to serve other things, is it not? Good things. I mean, good things, and and things aren't necessarily inherently bad. Good things, but our hearts are, in what we serve, we worship. It's interesting, when you look at the Greek words, the word serve, it's interesting that we call it a worship service. Did you ever wonder about that? I have. Well, it's because that this idea of service goes along with the idea of worship, and it does. He says you'll hate one and love the other. Really, it's that exclusive. Yeah, he says you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. And he says it this way to to these things. He's and remember, he he's saying life is more than about what you have. So. This is the inside look at the heart. And so here's, here's the remedy of this. The, the remedy of this is that, is there an area in your life that you're saying, you know what, I've held it out, and I've, I've been trying to, and I feel the struggle, I feel the strain, I feel the, the pull and the tug of things of the world around me. Sometimes we just have to go back and get really focused and get back to the, to the reality of the simple things of the Christian life. Devotions to God. Heart that is given to him. Confession of sin. Turning from sin. The joy of Jesus in worship. The reality of Christ in our lives. The reality of, of being real before him and saying, Lord, my heart's an open book. You know my struggles. You know my fears. You know my tears. You know my worries. You know all of that but my life is yours to the best of my ability here it is even your sin even the sin you say this yeah yeah you bring it to jesus and god says forgiveness god brings grace he brings mercy he brings forgiveness that's the power of the gospel You will be and find yourself the most that God has created you to be when your heart is fully and totally and completely given to Him. Father, we are thankful for the power of your gospel and its power to change lives. We are thankful, Jesus, that you come to the depth of who we are with nothing but your love and your truth. And you draw us to yourself to know you, to live for you, to be like you, and for you to live your life through us Lord, I just simply ask that this day that for any heart here that this morning is swerved find themselves being drawn by the things that this world has says. it happens so easily you know our frame, Lord you know how prone we are to get our eyes off of you, so I pray that today could be just one of these little reminders that you've got good plan for us. God, I pray today that you would take the desires the dreams, the goals, the aspirations. Ourselves, our struggles, all that we are. Give us grace to lay them down to you. And let you be God. That one area, that one hope that we've been praying That thing that we've been looking at for all of our lives. And we've been praying and searching and struggling. I pray Jesus. That you'd give us the grace to just give it to you. To find our contentment and our joy. Not in what we're pressing toward but in the presence of the Living Christ. For anyone here this morning that has never trusted you as Savior and Lord, give them grace to, to say yes to Christ. Yes to forgiveness. Yes to mercies. Yes to goodness. Yes to Jesus. For all that we do, all that you do in our lives, we give you thanks and praise.